today we come to the um, final instalment in the uh, journey of faith that Abraham has taken. There's obviously something else that happens after this story, but this is the last in, in, this, in this series. And um, at this point, it comes to the climax of the story. Um, I'm echoing a bit here. Um, I think Steve. Yeah. Um, the climax where Abraham's faith is severely tested. And I guess that's the, that is the, the climax of any of our faith stories, isn't it? When our faith is truly tested, that's, uh, if you like, where the rubber hits the road or, or whatever. And it begins, this passage begins actually with um, a phrase, after these things, only NIV translates it um, sometime later. That after these things, that's always something to look at. What, what things? Well, of course, the whole story of how uh, Abraham received a promise uh, from God and a call to leave his uh, land and Ur and move towards Canaan. How he believed that promise and it was credited as righteousness. Uh, how on the way his wife persuaded him to uh, have a child via the slave girl Hagar um, and to try to force God's hand and how the, that brought a lot of trouble to the family and ultimately um, Sarah rejects Ishmael. Um, but then the last sermon we looked at, we looked at how God was gracious to Abraham and Sarah. Despite all of them, all their misgivings, all of their failings, he was gracious to them because God is a gracious God. That's the only reason God is a gracious God. And now this gracious God, having given Abraham his desire, a son, he's waited 25 years for this promise to be fulfilled. He's 100 years old, hope for all of us. And it's quite interesting, when, when Henry Blofeld was being interviewed on the radio, he said, I'm, I'm going to give up cricket reportings, I'm nearly 100. Well, he's 79. <laughs> or 77, I think, 77. Um, but Abraham was 100 years old by the time it came into, into being. And then this chapter says, God tested Abraham. He tested him. And you hear him call, uh, Abraham. When God calls, he usually calls us by our name. And Abraham replies, here I am. Does that ring a bell with uh, somebody else a bit later? Samuel? When God calls the little boy Samuel, uh, who's only a very small boy, and Samuel is told to respond, here I am. It's a good response when God calls us. And here is what God says to him. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. This is the most shocking chapter in the Bible in some ways, isn't it? Don't you think? For anyone here who is a parent, uh, it's just the unthinkable, isn't it? Um, But it's interesting that uh, the God who makes this request uses a very gentle way of, um, of, of making the request. Actually, in the Hebrew, it says, please take your son. It's very rare in the divine command for God to say, please. He doesn't have to say, please, does he? Although we are meant to say, please and thank yous. Having a conversation beforehand about Peppa Pig. And apparently, Peppa Pig never says, please and thank you. Shame. But God here says, please. Please take your son, your only son, Isaac, 
whom you love. He's laying it in thick here, isn't it? He's your son. He's your only son. It's Isaac, and it's the one that you love. And offer him as a sacrifice. Well, I don't know how you would respond to such a thing. You may have heard my um, testimony of how many years ago um, I was at a youth meeting with a group of teenagers from our church and the speaker was talking about God so loved the world um, and he said, just imagine that a, a terrorist would come into the back of the room with a, with, a, with a machine gun and say, if anyone comes with me, I want someone as a hostage or I'll kill everybody who would go. And some people put their hand up. I thought, that's brave. And then he said, let's suppose he came in and said, um, unless anyone gives me their only child to take as a hostage, I'll shoot everybody. Who would nobody put their hand up, of course. And um, at that time, we had a, a, our Helen. We only had one child. She was six months old. She was just doing all the kind of lovely baby-type things and developing a personality and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, absolutely no way would I let go of my child. And I guess most of you would say the same. But then he said, and God so loved the world that he sent his only son for you. And that struck me so hard, I found myself queuing up at the front for those who responded and giving some kind of a consternation to the leaders of this conference. They weren't quite sure what to do with a Christian youth leader who'd come to the front to respond. But anyway, here we go. It was, it, I had to because it was so impactful. And it was the fact that my child was involved that really struck me. Um, so Abraham is told, go to the region of Moriah, I'll have a little look at that a bit later on, um, sacrifice him as a bound offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about later. Does that ring a bell for the first call of Abraham? Go and leave your, your household, your, your land, your people, and go to a land I will show you. In other words, there's an echo of that original call and the original promise. Um, and I want to ask the question, but why would God ask Abraham to do this? Now, I've been in pastoral ministry long enough to know that people have come up to me on many occasions and told me that God has told them to do something. Yeah, one or two of you go, yes. There are people who, who God's, God does speak to us. He, got, he does tell us to do things, but frankly... He doesn't tell people to do all the wacky things that actually some people have told me. Um, and the, the, we need discernment, don't we, to discern, is this really a genuine call of God, or is it someone's wacky imagination? And uh, I don't know, if, you've, if any of you came to me and said that God was telling you to uh, sacrifice your child, what you expect my pastoral response to be? Yeah? <laughs> cup of tea. Cup of tea is a good pastoral response. Of course, we know God detests child sacrifice. He detests anything like that. And, and in fact, there's, there's lots of, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, that, did, that, that condemns such practices uh, that the pagans did. And God tells us not to break his laws. Problem is, Abraham did not have the Old Testament. Abraham is the beginning of the Old Testament. The book hadn't been written, and neither had Moses come with the Ten Commandments. This Abraham only has... Uh, Abraham is, is, um, he's a pagan. He's come from Ur, uh, a nation that practiced all sorts of... worshipping lots of different gods, 
presumably including some gods like Molech, who were around in the Babylonian times, and people did sacrifice children to those gods. So Abraham has come from that culture where that was what, what happened. Uh, don't forget, Abraham is not a Jew. He's a pagan. The Jewish nation has come from Abraham. Before Abraham, there wasn't a Jewish nation or Israel. The whole lot are descended from him. He hasn't got a heritage. He hasn't got a Bible. He hasn't got traditions, except his pagan traditions. No Ten Commandments. All he's got is God's covenant promise. The God of Yahweh has met with him, given him a promise. He has an ongoing relationship with with God, which he is trying to work out in this journey as he travels and seeing how God's promises unfold in his life. That's all he's got. It says, Abraham believed... And God credited it to him as righteousness. That's all he's got to go on. So let's be fair to Abraham. You know, Abraham is shocked that God asks him to do this. But it's not unheard of from his culture. And so what God is doing is saying, do you, Abraham, trust me, Yahweh, more than those gods in your other culture? Do you trust me that much? The other thing, of course, we need to say is that God already knew what he was going to do. God did not intend to kill Isaac, but Abraham didn't know that. So, just a few things about discernment there. What is Abraham's response? Immediately, he obeys. Early next morning, he got up, saddled his donkey and went. That's pretty spectacular. That That is a sign of faith, isn't it? Immediate response, because he knew that it was God speaking to him. He didn't understand how or why uh, or how it would work out, but he got up and went. And then it says in verse 4, on the third day, he saw the place in the distance. He's already been travelling three days. He's still got a long way to go. This journey must have been agony. What did he talk about with Isaac on the way? I hate... Uh, trying to have a conversation with someone when I've got something on my mind. Do you know? Uh, you know, something's going around and, and I'm trying to talk about anything. I'm rubbish at small talk. I, I hate it. Uh, and, but to try to keep the conversation going without coming to the point, actually, Isaac, I'm going to sacrifice you. Um, that must have been a painful, agonising journey and he's still got quite a long way to go. But it shows Abraham's real faith. And in the next verse, here is a statement of faith. When his, he says to his servants, um, you stay here and we'll go off. He says, we will worship, then we will come back. Do you notice that? Yeah. Abraham has faith that somehow God has made him a promise that he will have many, gen- many descendants from this miracle child, Isaac, And he has faith in God's promise that he will come back, even though he's meant to go and sacrifice him. I'm sure he's absolutely no idea how that would have been, but he has faith. And then, of course, here's here's the child Isaac. Don't you love children? They ask all those amazing questions, don't they? And they see the obvious. Actually, my wife was trying to point out to me during the communion that there was a pen in, in, in one of the cups, which I don't know how it got there, and I couldn't see it at all. You know, but children see it, don't they? <laughs> you are a child of God, my dear. 
What I'm saying is children spot things that we don't. Dad, um, we've got the wood for the fire, and we've got the, we've got the fire, but where's the sacrifice? Hmm. Good question, son. What does Abraham say? God will provide the lamb. That is an incredible statement of faith. He doesn't know how it's going to happen, but he says God will provide the lamb. That in Hebrew, Yahweh Jireh. Not very good at pronouncing. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide, is is one of the covenant names of God. He will provide for us. And then it says the two went on together. There's this motif of the journey, Abraham journeying along with Isaac, and uh, he doesn't know what's going to happen. But Abraham trusts God, and he goes right up to the top of the mountain, and when God says, this is the place, this is the place, he actually gets as far as building the fire and the altar. He actually gets as far as putting his son on it and binding him. I mean, I just, just can't even imagine this. And he even gets as far as picking up the knife. And then, the angel says, not Abraham once, but twice, Abraham, Abraham! Yes, Lord. Here I am, he says. Here I am. Don't touch the child. Now I know that you fear God. You see, our faith is often only tested when it comes to something like that. You know, it's all very well sitting in church saying I've got faith. Or going to a big Christian conference and shouting, Hallelujah, my God is so big or whatever, with lots and lots of people. But the, when the rubber hits the road, when you're out on your own and you are asked, you know, and people who, for example, from like millions of our Christian brothers and sisters who are captured by some of these totalitarian re- regimes and are tortured and put to death, how would you respond in that situation? I don't know. I honestly don't know what would happen if I was in that extreme situation. It's only when our faith is absolutely tested that it becomes true faith. And the test is different for everyone. Not everybody is asked to do what Abraham has done. But for Abraham, this was a, a test of his faith. And, and, and it was the, it's on this faith of Abraham that our faith is built. Simply believing God, even when we don't understand how. This is the pinnacle and the climax of the journey of faith. Abraham's faith is tested and it's proved true. So he drops the knife with great relief. And then it says, Abraham looked up. Abraham looked up. Does that ring a bell with the earlier part of the story? He looked up and saw the stars. Look up, says God, and see the stars. Yeah? Um, That's how many descendants you're going to have. That was the promise. And now he looks up, and here is the way it's going to happen. There's a a ram stuck in the bush with its horns. Not much good for the ram, but good for Abraham. And even better for Isaac. Yeah. Now I know that you fear God. uh, And there is God's answer. Uh, And that's why he calls the mountain of Mount Moriah, the Lord will provide. Now, Abraham didn't know that Mount Moriah was called that, meant that, particularly when he set out, but he does now. Uh, Here is Moriah, um, the Lord will provide, and God has proved it. And then the angel calls a second time, 
And this time he says, I will surely bless you. He swears in God's name. This is a, a divine promise. I will surely bless you and all nations on earth will be blessed through your seed. God, when God makes a promise, it, 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 it's a promise that will always be kept. I remember Mike was speaking a few weeks ago. He talked about the way that they cut the sacrifice in half and then uh, walked, God himself walked through the middle. It was an absolute binding promise. And God always keeps his promises. But let's just briefly look then at the mountain of Moriah, where this took place, because that's pretty significant in the Bible. Uh, um, The first time we hear about Mount Moriah is on this occasion when Abraham takes up Isaac to sacrifice him and God provides a ram. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, King David uh, goes to the very same place where there is a threshing floor that belongs to a man called Arona. And he buys it from this man, Arona. Uh, Arona offers to give it to him and David says, no, I will not sacrifice uh, anything that costs me nothing. He buys this plot of land and he makes an altar and he worships God there. In the next chapter, in 2 Chronicles, chapter 3, Solomon begins to build a temple on the same site as that threshing floor, on Moriah. So here's Abraham offering his son. David buys uh, the land and puts an altar on it. And then Solomon finally builds a temple on that very site where Abraham offered his son. It's called Jerusalem, place of peace. So this thread goes through the story, this significant place, Moriah. Um, And of course, we now move to the New Testament, because we're New Testament people, aren't we? And on that very same mountain, on Moriah... um, 2,000 years after Abraham was there, so David was about 800, 900 years after Abraham, another 1,000 years on, uh, um, here we have uh, a man called Jesus walking up that path and being sacrificed on that same hill. And hence, John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus come about his baptism, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isn't that incredible? How God has a particular purpose and a plan that he's working out. How Mount Moriah is the place through which truly all nations will be blessed. Because that is the place where the true perfect son of God, the lamb of God was sacrificed on our behalf. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that all who believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Don't you just want to sort of say hallelujah Praise you. Amen. And through that act of faith of Abraham has come the possibility of salvation for all people. We would not be sitting here if it weren't for Abraham. We would not be sitting here if it weren't for King David buying that plot of land and Solomon building the temple and then Jesus finally coming to be crucified to make to get rid of the temple. The temple uh, was destroyed. His body was destroyed and raised up again on the third day. That seems to me the most wonderful piece of good news uh, that there is. I think we should just be quiet and reflect on that. There's been an awful lot to think about. Let's just be quiet and reflect. Maybe you've just got some, you'd like to pray.
If anyone wants to lead us in prayer quietly, then that's, that's good. If not, let's just be silent in the presence of God as we dwell on his word. <laughs>